0: Hey Dunker Punks, thanks for joining us for this episode. I'm your host, Jacob Kraus. Today we're going to hear a discussion from Matt Riddle and Mandy North that focuses on aspects of music that we don't talk about much in the context of church and hymnody. I've had many conversations with people through the years about how a song can have a greater meaning than just its performance or existence, for better or for worse. Sometimes the setting in which we hear the music moves us more meaningfully than a song itself, and sometimes the story behind a song can affect whether we even want to listen to it anymore. Matt and Mandy will talk a bit about some of these things that give music greater meaning at the beginning of their discussion, but then they'll shift focus of their conversation to revolve around a topic that's more uncomfortable and unfortunately becoming more relevant the character of the people who write worship music. Matt and Mandy, the floor is yours.
1: Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
2: What we just heard is something we sometimes call the Lord's Prayer what is the Lord's prayer? could be many things. Uh, We might view it as a model, sort of an example of how we might pray and and take lessons from it and transfer them into different words. A lot of times uh, in our worship services, we take it to be literal. It's a specific prayer, sort of a liturgy that we have been asked to repeat later. In fact, we've repeated it so many times later, it's sort of a ritual in our lives. It's definitely a ritual in our worship services. When you sort of repeat something so much, it can become this touchstone. You just reach out and you touch it, and then it brings up this sort of pool of familiar experiences and feelings. Sure, you can just plow through and say the words, but maybe you're sort of temporarily transported back to the different times uh, you've set it to the different places you've set it, the different people you've set it with. It's almost like uh, to be a little metaphysical. You sort of invest into this pool every time you touch a touchstone. And this pool holds emotions and um, spirituality. And then when you touch it again, you can draw out from that. The Lord's Prayer is a great example of that. I think another one in my life, I would say, is Communion. I'm not always exactly sure if I'm being honest what eating this piece of bread means. Uh, I I know we're told it means we're entering into the body of Christ. Um, But I know that as I partake in the bread, I'm often sort of transported back to fellowship halls and church basements to even uh, times at church camp, to all the people I may have taken communion with, to the people I'm currently taking communion with, to the people they've taken communion with. And in that way, I'm sort of engaging in this larger tradition. It's this ritual, it's this touchstone that holds this sort of spiritual reservoir that I enter into when I partake in communion.
1: I think the same can be said of our love feast. I often, when I experience Love Feast, especially when I'm washing the feet of someone else, as their feet are in the water, I my mind will sometimes go back to other times. I've participated in Love Feast, and I think about the other feet I've washed during this experience. It's a time to not only hold the person whose feet I'm washing in that moment in a, in a prayer, but to hold all those whose feet I've washed in previous experiences. It's these touchstones that connect us and these rituals, whether it's saying the Lord's prayer or having communion together or having a love feast together that connect us each and every time we experience these rituals, not only to the times that we've experienced them, but to one another who have experienced them even across generations.
2: Speaking of experiencing things with one another, uh, one place I've experienced a lot of relational joy and thus emotional healing on my own part is church camp. I doubt I'm alone in uh, growing up, having gone to various church camps, depending on where we lived. My own um, home camp, as we might call it, is in northern Illinois, Camp Emmaus. Give a little shout out to the fine folks there. Um, I have just such fond memories of church camp that sort of when I pull up that memory of, you know, that card game in that cabin during horizontal hour, it's not about that memory and that laughter. It's just about entering into that sort of spiritual, emotional space of what it felt like to be there amongst those people. And I can also experience that um. When I lived in Illinois and I I pastored a church not too far from Camp Emmaus, uh, about about once or twice a year, I would be going through a hard time and I would just drive and walk around the physical space of camp, even alone, that the geographical space sort of stored. It's almost like that geographical space was itself a touchstone for me.
1: I kind of think our church buildings can be that physical space for people. There's something really sacred about being in our home sanctuaries or the memories that we've made in our youth rooms or those Sunday school classes. That space itself becomes a touchstone with shared memories. Oftentimes we can think about the sanctuaries and the things that we've experienced in them whether it's a child dedication that leads to a baptism and then maybe an eventual marriage, ultimately a funeral. So many of these important life um, experiences are just felt in that physical space. And so when we enter that physical space, those memories and, and the emotions that come with the memories stir within us so that maybe that sanctuary or camp or love feast or communion or lord's prayer is even more than the words or than the bread and the cup or more than the towel and the basin more than the campsite or more than the sanctuary
2: When are things more than the ritual? Perhaps no more so than with music. When are touchstones meaningful? And how do they influence and shape us? And how can we rely on them? And what do we do when things go awry? This is what we'll be talking about when we come back. title of this podcast is More Than a Song. Uh, let's briefly explore together when a song becomes that more than that you are just talking about, Mandy, in a way that is profoundly and deeply meaningful, when those emotions that stir up within those singings. I, I think for me, uh, I'll, I'll say, I'll start with the cliche, as uh, move in our midst. Uh, I think if we're being totally frank, some people may not like me here, but the hymn is just okay. It, it's it's a fine hymn. Um, when I, I sort of took a break from Church of the Brother in Public Life for a few years, and when I came back to it, sort of my my first impression all over again of Moving Our Mist was like, yeah, all right, this one's fine, you know. But I think at this point, it's one of my most profoundly meaningful and favorite hymns. And that didn't happen from it being the best hymn in the world. For me, that happened because I've sung it hundreds of times. I've sung it in small congregations with loved ones I've pastored. I've sung it in in congregations uh, sitting next to my family in the pew. I've sung it at annual conference with thousands and thousands of people i've i've played the mutual kumquat version on my bluetooth speaker at home to start a day or as i'm trying to do a devotional and and even out my stress I, you know and so it's it's this accumulation it's like every time i sing it now i'm like sort of transported back to those different rooms and those different places. And now it's, to me, one of the best hymns in the world, not because of the paper of it, but because of that spiritual and emotional memory that stirs within as I sing it again. What's a, a, a hymn for you that is more than a hymn?
1: Yeah, I for me, it's Will You Let Me Be Your Servant? Is a community together can be... Serve others and also be served. Um, but but the way that it's a touchstone for me is uh, it just reminds me of work camps and having those experiences. I I didn't grow up in the Church of the Brethren, so I didn't attend work camps as a youth. But I've had lots of opportunities to attend as an advisor. And so whenever I hear, "Well, you let me be your servant," um, the images in my head are of the youth over the years and the places where we have served together and coming back after a work camp and sharing our stories with the congregation and having the congregation's support of the youth as they do these work camps. Um, and so, yeah, you, you know, when you think about more than a song, it's more than just the words on the page or the, the musical notes, but it's the images in our, our head and those uh, memories that pop up when we sing them.
2: Do you have another?
1: Yeah. I, you know, we, I can't really end a love feast without singing. Bless be the tie that binds (laughs) Uh, the reminder that there's a, there's this tie that binds us together. Um, You know, clearly we're not literally tied together with a rope, but Uh, That that imaginary connection between us that allows us to laugh together and cry together as we read about in that third verse. We share each other's woes, each other's burdens bears, uh, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. Um, But again, it's not the words on the page or the music. It's the image in my head of the the towel and the basin and having just washed each other's feet and then we we stand and and hold hands as we sing this song um I just feel like it connects us um and reminds us kind of of our connectedness as a faith community and just as being human beings together did you have a, a second song besides move in our midst
2: yeah, I I'm chuckling. Uh, I'm sure y- y- we could do this all day, but we'll just do these four. And we've named three probably very common and popular uh, ones, particularly for brethren. So I'll go off the beaten path and name a hymn. Probably none of our audience will know, but it's called "Voice Still and Small." I did um, sort of a research project for a seminary class about hymnody, and I studied the Unitarian Universalist hymnal, and I found this song, Voice Still and Small, that I just fell in love with, and uh, I just thought this should be a Brethren song. Um, It's just quiet and contemplative, and even to the title, Voice Still and Small, us Brethren love that still small voice, and then trying to be responsible as a worship leader because we don't have this hymnal in our pews, and I wanted to sing it in our um, congregations, so I actually, uh, through some different search engine results, tracked down the composer, and we've emailed a little bit, and I told him how meaningful the song was for me, and he gave me blanket permission to sing it, not just in in the one church I pastored, but anytime, any place, anywhere I want. And so I've sung it at this point in multiple congregations, and it was even uh, in the first Dunker Punk uh, virtual love feast from... Longer ago than I would like to think about at this time, uh, but early in 2020. Um, and I think we'll listen to that as we transition into this next, um, phase of the podcast, I do want to offer a content warning before we get to this last section, we're going to be discussing the music of someone who has been accused by several dozen women of sexual assault. If this is triggering for you in any way, we've intentionally designed the podcast that hopefully it's been meaningful for you so far, and feel free to turn off the podcast at this point and enjoy the ways in which a song can be more than a song in a way that's meaningful. When we come back from the next hymn, we'll be discussing ways in which something could be more than a song in a way that can be deeply painful.
3: still and small, deep inside all, I hear you call, sing.
2: is going to be a hard conversation uh with some hard topics. Um but I know that Mandy and I are both committed to um dialoguing together. Um you know partly um just to do our best with with this conversation.
1: Yeah you know we live in a world today where space isn't always held for these hard conversations. And because they're hard, because they're awkward, we just choose not to have them. So our hope is that in this dialogue together between Matt and me, it's uh, to help all of us sort of ease the scariness a bit of these hard conversations and maybe model for others a bit of how hard conversations can be faced and how they could
2: go? I think I'm fascinated by how driven we are to define things so narrowly that you know something has to be good or bad, uh, a person or a him has to be great or awful. Um, you know, are we in this camp or are you in that other camp? Are you with me? Are you with them? You know, it's it's much. It's so hard. It's hard to hold complexity inside, uh, the complexity of a person or situation, you know, like can a bad person write a good hymn? What what do we do with that? You know, it's, there's no easy or simple answer.
1: Yeah. And what even defines a bad person, right?
2: Right. Our hymn books are full of sinners, aren't they?
1: Of course, we all know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God.
2: Uh, Does it make a difference if the sinning and falling short is is known versus private?
1: I mean, it might make a difference, particularly if the sin was inflicting pain on others. Uh,
2: Totally, totally. I I know in one way, sin is sin is sin, but at another point, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I know, it's just, it's really hard.
1: And it brings up so many questions. What if we started by just naming our questions for a minute?
2: That's a great, that's a great idea. I mean, is it, is someone hurting themselves or or hurting others? Does it matter how publicly the pain caused to others may have been?
1: Doesn't matter how long ago it was, that it was just yesterday or 50 years ago.
2: Has there been any uh, acknowledgement or repentance shown by maybe actual signs of growth or change?
1: And if somebody has been hurt, they're the victims of this sin. Are, are they asking for anything in particular to help with their healing? Mm.
2: Those are some great questions. I'm wondering if at this point, at some point, we just sort of need to like jump off the deep end. And I'm wondering if we're, we're there, Mandy. And so, um, David Haas, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> David Haas. This is the point in the conversation that we want to just reiterate our content warning that we said before. We're going to be talking about some pretty hard conversations, especially as it relates to sexual abuse and sexual assault. And so if there's any concern about that triggering for you, you may want to turn off the podcast now.
2: You know, super briefly, uh, for those who may not know who David Haas is, he is a um, modern day uh, contemporary composer. Uh, extremely prolific, and uh, because he is so prolific, has some fairly mediocre songs out there, but then has also at times produced some very um, some music that people have considered very moving or compelling. And so um, some some new hymn books, even our own brother and supplement, might include a hymn or two written by David Haas. There have also been some What would we say? Significant and well-documented complaints about the behavior of David Haas.
1: Yeah, in the last year and a half or so, there have been reports of nearly 44 accounts of alleged abuse done by David Haas to women in particular who attended the music conferences that he held.
2: There's a two dozen-some page report. Uh, uh, um, The official report is online. I subjected myself to the whole thing. I read every word. I felt like that was really important as a pastor, as a worship planner. Um, It was so harrowing. I I don't know that we need to repeat all of the stories here, but it's it's bad.
1: Yeah, there's really no reason for us to go into the accusations about David Haas in this podcast. I know we all have access to the internet and you are all welcome to look that up as you feel so led.
2: Or don't look that up as, as you mentioned earlier, depending (laughs) on.
1: Or don't look that up. I think, you know, enough so we can continue the conversation.
2: Absolutely. As we consider. Uh, all of the many sort of layers to um, what's happening here as we plan worship and deal with bad actors like David Haas or, or other people like him. I, I wonder if it's worth pausing for a moment and just considering what is the church's history and relationship when dealing with victims of sexual assault? Yeah, I mean, honestly,
1: the the capital letter C church, the universal church, I think historically has done a terrible job, yeah, terrible. Um, terrible job. Uh, hearing the victims, listening to what they have to say, um, doing whatever they need to do to, to stop the abuse, um, pushing it under the rug in hopes that if you know, if they don't see it or hear it or talk about it, that'll just kind of go away and they won't really have to, to deal with it.
2: I, I totally agree. I think there's a wide spectrum and on the better half of the spectrum, and this is really sad and, and disappointing, you have people who just don't want to rock the boat too much and they'll recognize there's a problem, but they sort of... um You end up minimizing it and just trying to sweep it under the rug and keep the status quo going, as you said. And when you do that, how is someone who feels um, assaulted or harassed, how are they supposed to feel supported when the church just moves on like nothing happened? And that's on the better end of, of the spectrum because we've also seen very clear systems of practice that empower and encourage and enable abusers and harassers to continue.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when we know better, we do better. Is that Maya Angelou who said that? And, and we, if, if nothing else, we have to take these previous examples and see just how disastrous they were for the victims and how it perpetuated abuse. Learn from it and, and, do, and do better moving forward. We can't keep keep reacting in the same way. It's not working.
2: I love what you're saying. Uh, first of all, it should be important for people of faith, or frankly, without faith, to stand with victims of sexual assault. Uh, but knowing the Capital C Church's history, it should be even more important um, so that we do not uh, we know history to not repeat history, that we know better now so we can do better now. Um, I love what you're saying. And so how how can we, as worship planners, as a community of faith, how can we support victims better?
1: I think it starts by listening to the victims. I mean, one of the things that came out um, after the accusations with David Haas is that, um, his victims came together and they wrote a, a letter to the diocese of the Catholic Church um, explicitly asking them to, to stop using David Haas's music in their worship. A few of the dioceses replied back with agreement that they would. Um, several dioceses didn't even reply. Um, And I think, you know, the Church of the Brethren may not have received that exact letter. It's in a different denomination. But when we know that a letter exists and the victims have asked for that as a way to support them, um, then we need to hear them and and honor that um, when it's asked of us as a way to stand in solidarity, not just with with these victims, but honoring and recognizing that there's so many other victims of sexual assault out there who may or may not have felt heard. And for me as a pastor, um, to not honor those victims requests feels like the message I'm saying is uh, like, I don't, I'm not listening to the victims. And if I have another member of my congregation who has been a victim, I want them to know that they will be heard and supported. And so the least I can do is support these victims. I don't personally know, um, in a way that shows that I'm a supporter. You know, if that, if that makes sense, um, and so for I guess for me it was it felt like a no-brainer about how I need to move forward using David Haas's music in our worship.
2: I like that connective thread you just drew. I, I liked everything you said, but but towards the end, drawing out, um, are we going to listen to this one specific person's victims? And if so, they've asked us to stop, right? But ultimately, if we want to be better as as a church, as a capital C church, we need to make this a safe space for all kinds of victims and survivors of all varieties, stories that maybe didn't even happen in the church or aren't widely known. And as we've discussed earlier in the podcast, the internet is a very real place. So uh, Mandy, as you and I have talked about this, we've sometimes joked who can name any composer of their favorite hymn, Um, but some people can. And some people um, have these sometimes very private stories and they're wondering if this community of faith is a space where I can feel safe. Is this a space where I can feel welcome? And maybe they do know who, for example, David Haas is. And maybe they do know those stories. And if they are wondering if they can open up and trust and feel safe in this space and they show up on Sunday or whatever service, And there's David Haas music being played. Uh, Is that going to help that person feel safe or unsafe? Right.
1: Well, yeah. And you know, we've been talking a lot about the internet. You know, maybe they don't know the composer of the song that we're singing in worship, but for whatever reason, the the lyrics or the melody resonate with them, and so they go home and they Google their you know or do a use their search engine to find out um, more about that that music that resonated with them in worship. And all you have to do is look up a song and we know how search engines work. It's going to send you down a rabbit hole of of then reading um, the accusations that that will pop up. And so then what kind of conversation um, might that spark for the person who stumbles upon it and after a worship service. Um, and we don't, we don't know. Um,
2: you just described a situation where someone might feel incredibly moved in worship and then go home and want to feel moved more and, and then really sort of having the carpet swept out from under them in a way that was completely unnecessary. Um because while there are a few lovely songs written by this composer, there's like what tens of thousands of lovely songs out there and there are other choices.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I really love David Haas's music and it has really resonated me with me in worship services. And um, and I wish I wish these abuses never happened in the first place, you know, but they have and And there's just no reason for us to keep singing his songs in worship, because like you said, there's tens of thousands of other just beautiful worship songs that we can use instead.
2: I think especially when we compound this by his victims who are still alive, having directly asked us to stop the fact that uh, he is still financially benefiting from his library of music and also alive, and that these things are widely known and easily uh, searchable online. Um, you know, earlier we said that our hymn book, quite literally, does not have a composer that isn't a sinner. That is our fundamental belief as Christians. But the fact it's all so fresh that the victims are still with us, the the, the perpetrator is still with us. It it feel it does feel like a time to make a special case. Um, I wonder if we could talk, Uh, Mandy and I are both pastors and we're both worship planners. And so this is what we do. We sometimes have these like multi-hour long, uh, you know, we can think about all kinds of things behind the scenes that would not be apparent publicly. Um, Is this a conversation that, I mean, clearly we're doing this public podcast, but as worship planners, do you think we should like do a five-minute announcement? about taking this music out of our public worship? Or do you think this should be uh, private between musicians and worship planners and and just then it just stops appearing publicly?
1: That's a great question. Um, I'm a firm believer that having an open and honest conversation with the people who are leading worship, especially the musicians who help pick the songs that are sung during a service can be really helpful and um, and and creating a safe space to talk through, you know, whatever feelings and emotions come up from receiving this news because there, there is some grief that comes with that. I mean, this is a song that we have loved singing in our worship services. And so then to find out, the, you know, about these accusations, you know, um, it, it doesn't feel good. to to hear this news and and then to have to make a decision to change the way that we um, use those songs or don't or decide to no longer use those songs in our services. Um, We have not had a public conversation about it. And I'm not sure that we necessarily need to, again, I would hate to um, unnecessarily traumatize somebody Um, I think we just, we have just stopped using them. And my guess is that if somebody were to ask, or if somebody were to notice, um, then, then we can, um, have that conversation as it arises. What are your thoughts on that, Matt? Because I mean, that's what we're doing at our congregation.
2: Yeah. Uh, we're doing the same. I I do think it matters the context you're in, you know, he was such a public and known commodity, particularly in Catholic circles, but in other circles, for his music just to stop appearing suddenly um would almost feel abrupt. Like you might in some circles owe a public conversation. But I think, you know, for a lot of us and for brethren, uh, in the hymnal and supplement combined, we have one David Haas song. So I want to be clear, we have one, but I'm also saying it's it's just one. And so if we stopped seeing that one song, I, I don't know that most people would notice. Uh, I, I This thing you said about unnecessarily traumatized is something that's really important to me. Um, recognizing statistically there are likely survivors of um, harassment and or assault in almost every congregation. And maybe... Um, Some of them don't know who David Haas is. And if all of a sudden I'm like, let me introduce you to this great composer who, by the way, we're not going to sing anymore because of these awful atrocities. uh, It could almost like inflict a pain upon people that they wouldn't have had. You know, if our goal here is to honor um, victims, if our goal here is to bring like healing to the community and to people with wounds, then I want to be really mindful that I'm not opening wounds or not inflicting pain. And so, you know, it's, for me, this is a, a, I don't know if private's the right word, but a, a conversation behind closed doors between the people that need to be having these conversations. And that isn't necessarily an entire congregation in, in a lot of cases, I think. I think similarly, because I don't want to inflict pain. If someone came up to me and said, Oh my gosh, did you hear this song? Um, it just meant so much to me and I cried and it was so meaningful. And then they told me the song and I recognized it as a David Haas song. I think I might just smile and nod and say, I'm glad that was really meaningful for you and sort of let them have that meaningful thing in that moment. How, how do you think you might respond in a situation like that?
1: Uh, Well, honestly, I I had a situation recently. I was uh, attending a funeral and a David Haas song was sung as part of the service. And um, I didn't, I didn't say anything, (laughs) Um, you know, that family is hurting enough. Um, The last thing they they want or need to hear from me is a critique of the music that was picked for their loved one's service. Right. Um, or even just, uh, they don't need to say, they don't need to hear anything. That song was meaningful for them. It was meaningful for that service. Um, and so, so yeah, I think, I think we use discernment and, and, um, be fair. I, I wasn't planning that funeral service. I wasn't officiating that service. Maybe. Uh, Depending on the situation, if I was part of the planning of the service itself and that song came up as a suggestion, I'd have to, I'd have to use wisdom to know how best to proceed with that. Um, But in this case, I, I let it ride.
2: I love what you just said in your shoes at the funeral. I didn't plan. I would have done the exact same thing. Cause I don't, you don't want to tell someone they're grieving wrong or if they had one moment of feeling better to take that away from them, you know, but if I were planning the service, I think I would just get very curious. Be like, Oh, huh. I'm curious why you like that song so much, Mm -hmm. you know? And if they have some like rich story about the hundred times they've listened to it, then I might, I might have to swallow my thoughts um, but if it's just like, oh, I kind of like it, and the words are okay, um, I wonder if I might be like, oh, yeah, you know there I, I, I'm thinking of a couple songs that are similar. Would you be open to me um suggesting something else later, you know and and sort of approaching it that way. um I like what you're talking about using discernment, and we're discussing are there times when we should just sort of um swallow our our distaste for his music um. But I also want to encourage in this discernment thing. Sometimes we might swallow it to, to so for the greater good for people to have some healing. Uh, but if there's also times to have tough conversations, and I'm going to throw myself under the bus as an introduction here. Um, there was one time uh, Mandy and I were were talking, and I think I was just having a, a, a busy day, and I had said something uh, about this story that was not necessarily wrong. It was not the most sensitive way to word, I think, a sentence. And um, I have to say, Mandy really called me out on that and took me aside and was like, you know, um, some people could hear what you just said and be pretty hurt. And that was something that I needed that reminder of, um, that even the people uh, who want to do well don't always. And we need these reminders to do better. And that's something that you've offered me and we offer each other in friendship, but um, yeah, I'm just really appreciative of your ability. I've seen you do this with other people too, to sort of dive in and have the hard conversations.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm learning as I go. And I think we all are on a journey of, of learning and doing better. And, and we're people of, of grace, you know, and um, our faith is wrapped up in grace, and so we have to um, offer grace um as to one another um, and forgiveness to one another and um and so we can navigate our way forward i mean i don't we talked earlier about the fact that the capital letter c church has never really done a great job of handling um abuse within the church. And, and part of that is because I don't think the people in leadership knew what to do. Uh, they didn't, they, you know, were trying to protect the institution. They were trying to, um, protect themselves. I, you know, who knows? There's a variety of reasons, but, um, But again, when you know better, you do better. And so, um, but how are you going to know better unless you're willing to learn, unless you're willing to have the hard conversations? I mean, that that was one thing I just appreciated when just this conversation right here, Matt, you had said, you know, if if I'm helping a family plan a funeral and they suggest a David Haas song, I may then ask them why they picked that song and, and create the space for them to share their stories of why that song is meaningful for them. And use their response as part of my discernment to know how best to proceed, Um, which is is great, Um, as opposed to just, oh, they suggested the song, and now I'm going to say what I know about David Haas's music. Um, But create the space for them to share what they already know or or how they already receive those lyrics and those melodies. Um, That's, I think, how we do this journey together. I know some conversations I've had about David Haas's music is what about, what about David Haas? (laughs) You know, if he were to come into our doors on a Sunday morning, you know, would he be welcome to worship with us? And my answer every time has been absolutely. He is a child of God, just as I am, and you are, and, and all of us are, and a human being. And And uh, a sinner like you and and me um, and our sins have consequences. So he is totally welcome to worship with us and and participate in our services. Um, But one of the consequences is he doesn't get to hold leadership. I would never hire him as my music director. Uh, I would never, you know, ask him to lead the choir. Maybe with time he can sing in the choir, you know, but I think that's the thing that we're navigating. You know, when we're living in a time of grace, um, grace doesn't necessarily mean that our actions don't have consequences.
2: You you offer us a vision of faith and community that um, I'm still aspiring to. Uh, to have such an inclusive and welcoming and grace-filled model. I think the thing I really appreciate about what you're just saying is the reminder of the larger picture. It's all about restoration. It's all about healing. There's so much grace. And and so we want to bring healing to the victims by stopping um, them playing his music. We want to bring healing to the people who are finding meaning in a song without knowing the history of it and let them have that. Even if we choose to have a hard conversation, it's not about you jerk who played his song and didn't know it. You know, it's that even that situation and even that hard and awkward conversation is ultimately about the larger community, the larger good, bringing us all into better restoration and a better position to bring healing. Uh, and that is such a great sort of note to slowly wrap up our our time together, that our goal is the the kingdom of God. And how do we all live together as people trying to heal from all of our wounds? Um, I wonder, as we wrap up, if we might talk about what we're hoping people have gotten out of this time. Um, I'll start by naming the obvious one to start uh please stop playing david Haas music right
1: <laughs> yeah you know that would that would be a great start and and do it out of respect and honor of the victims who have explicitly asked us to stop right yeah
2: yeah something you and i have talked about is that it's not just this one person that there's a a lot of reasons why certain songs or composers or, or even entire churches who produce music, um, why some people might want to avoid certain music or genres of music or, or hymns. And so we owe a responsibility, I think, as worship planners to sort of consider a reasonable expectation of what our congregation might be familiar with. Right. Um, Sexual assaults and David Haas being particularly um, widespread and and known, that's an easy one, right? Um, But it's also possible, isn't it, that some people could have very specific stories. I was at this one church who sang this one hymn every Sunday. It was such a toxic environment for me. Um, I I just, every time I hear this one hymn, I'm triggered in a way no one else is. Um, I don't know that we as worship planners can have a reasonable expectation of guessing stories like that. But what do we do if if say we are a pastor and a parishioner opens up to us and, and tells us that story, you know, do we stop singing even that, that one hymn for this one person?
1: Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important to have these hard conversations, right? It, A, you want to create the space for that person to feel safe enough to bring that concern to you or to the worship planners. And then B, you want to create the space that that person feels vulnerable enough to say, um, what they need in order for their own healing or support, right? Much like David Haas's victims, you know, could be explicit enough to say, um, stop using any, any of his songs. Maybe um as you dig deeper with an individual, you realize, um, you know it wouldn't be in their best interest to sing that song every Sunday, but if it came up quarterly or if it came up you know once a year, um, it would be fine. And again, that that only comes from the conversation and it and it circles right back around to where this conversation today, you know started a little bit about. We have to be hearing, we have to have our ears open um, to listen to to the needs of those who have been victims, which I think just means our ears have to be open to the needs of, of those that we're leading in worship.
2: What else would we like to, uh, what would you like to say as we close this together?
1: I think we've kind of named it, you know one it's pretty explicit you know stop using david hoss's music in your worship but i think the second and and we started this way and i think it's just re- important to reiterate just don't be afraid of the hard conversations um create the space for the hard conversations um and and part of creating the space is coming in with your ears open and being ready to listen and and that sometimes means that whatever you thought you were going to say as a decision moving forward may need to change and adjust as you learn and listen uh, with the people you're with.
2: I know that I want to be a really good listener, and I'm thankful for all your sharing and for this dialogue and uh, for the listeners hanging in there with us as we muddle through all this together.
1: Thanks. It was great to be with you all.
2: Thanks, Mandy.
0: Thank you both for sharing your insights and wisdom. And thank you, Dunker Punks, for being active listeners. The Dunker Punks podcast is made up of conscientious worship leaders from around the globe. In this episode, we heard from Matt Riddle and Mandy North. My name is Jacob Kraus, he, him, and I was your host and editor for this episode. Allie Cooney manages communication, Suzanne Lay manages production, Arlington Church of the Brethren, and On Earth Peace sponsored the show. Subscribe to us on iTunes to hear more insightful episodes and check out our website at arlingtoncob.org slash DPP. If you don't already, follow us on social media at Pod, where you can continue the conversation with us and keep an ear out for our next episode dropping in two weeks on the arts ministry at Washington City Church of the Brethren. Until then, peace.